All right, if you've got a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are on the final chapter of Ephesians today. We've been motoring through this for the last year or so, and the end is in sight. We have, I think, 20 verses to go. Um, 24, actually. To go, and we will do four of them today, and then a bit more next week. And the week after that, Ephesians will be done um, uh, at Real Life Church, and we'll be moving on to something else, our Christmas series. More information about that to troll out. All right, um, <clears throat> where we've got to, book of Ephesians, halfway through chapter 5, Paul um, talks, about, um, talks to the Ephesian church and says to them that they are to be a church filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he says back, I think it was in 5.18, um, be filled with the Spirit. And he talked about what the outcome of that was, that there would be thankful hearts, there would be singing and rejoicing. And then straight after that, he comes on to what um, some theologians have called the household table, where he talks about the outworking of what it means to be a Spirit-filled people, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with God, worshipping Jesus, this is what it should look like. And he talks about us being uh, submitted to Christ in the church. He talks about the role between uh, wives and husbands, that relationship, children and parents, and then finally slaves and masters. And what we did, wives and husbands, last time, and now we're on to the children and parents section. And the key theme for this passage is the whole idea of, kind of, of submitting to one another. And Paul, um, Paul outlines some divine... Uh, the divinely ordered relationships on how it should outwork. And each person in the relationship is addressed, whether it be a wife, a husband, a child, a parent, a slave, a master, they're all dressed equally, um, but they're all given different roles within that relationship in a, a godly ordered society. And today we have got to the children and parents. So I'm going to just read a few verses from the beginning of chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents... In the Lord. Can I have an amen from all the parents? For this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, that's just a bit. <clears throat> so we've talked about wives and husbands. And now he's moved on to the children and parents role. But actually, interesting, the focus of this passage is actually the father in the relationship. It is parents, so how it begins, but that final instruction is actually particularly focused at the dads, the fathers, in that relationship. And before we sort of get into it, I just want to... I looked at a bit of research on the whole kind of thing of fathers uh, nowadays, and actually some of the stuff where... Um, we're finding um, is that we are having, we're growing up in almost a fatherless generation. The, um, the campaign group, the Fatherhood Institute, said 45,000 children, 45,000 children every year do not have a father's name on their birth certificate. There's just no name. It's blank. Mum is there, obviously giving birth. Dad is not there. I found some research um, done, uh, just published recently um, about the, the, the effect of children growing up without fathers. And it says that actually, uh, this research says that there, um, the effects of the absence of a father um, cannot be underestimated. It affects a child on every level, from their education, their self-esteem, their happiness, and the ability to become a parent themselves. The role of um, a father, or the lack of a father. 
Um, I feel it's, uh, that the need for a father is on an epidemic scale and should be treated as a public health issue, this report said. Some of the results they found in studying children who um, had what they called a father deficit, meaning there was no father in their life um, around when they were growing up, no one in the home. They said that they were, um, they were most likely to involve in negative behaviours such as crime and substance abuse. They lacked positive self-image of them lacked a positive self-image. Um, they, um, they struggled to um, deal with their emotions, frustrations, and constantly have negative feelings. They found out, and also they are rarely held accountable for their action, children without dads. In October 2012, David Lammy, a Labour MP, um, described absent fathers as the key cause to the rise of knife crime we find in the UK. MP is a, is a London MP in his bar. He's saying there's a lot of knife crime. Kids are killing one another. Um, he said, and actually, one, for his, from his point of view, absent fathers is one of the key causes of that rising um, crime, uh, knife crime. Um, and that was reported on the, uh, the BBC website. Um, and if we say, take a step back, if it, all this stuff is true, which is what the research is pointing to, we almost have a health care system, a welfare system, that is actually cleaning up after absent fathers. If, if this is the result of dads not doing their jobs properly, almost our health care and our welfare system is actually cleaning up after people who aren't doing their job. If dads were doing their job, this, all these other things would be um, a lesser extent um, available in our society. So the big idea of what I want to talk about today is a good godly father is irreplaceable. Irreplaceable, and they are to train their children in the instruction of the Lord. That is the result. That is what a good dad should do. Now, not everyone here is a father. I appreciate that, but I, I think it's a message for all of us in the church. If you are not yet um, a father, one day you may become one. And that is a good thing. Um, and so this is relevant for you to listen to and look to the future and think, actually, one day when it is my turn, um, I want to know kind of what this is about. What does Paul say? What does the Bible say about it? If you are a young lady here looking to get married and one day become a mum, you need to know what to look for in a prospective husband and father. They're going to be the father of your children. One day, you want to get married, have kids. Again, a good thing. You need to know what to be looking for in a man um, from that point of view. And... I think we all have a role within the church to be parents to one another. That includes mothers and fathers. In a specific sense, if you are the actual parent of a child, but actually in a broad sense, to care for one another. I remember the, there's the old um, African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. I think the, 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 the role of the parent is absolutely vital, but I think there is a wider community that helps. So all of us need to understand what the Bible is saying to parents, mums and dads, and actually get on board to encourage those in that situation, to come alongside them, to support them, and to be um, parents with them too in helping grow children in the instruction of the Lord. So, let's look at what Paul says. First one, interestingly, he starts by addressing children. And there's three things to know about this. First of all, they are addressed as equals. He's just done wives and husbands. Equals. Address the wife, address the husband. 
They were both given um, responsibilities in their relationship before God. He now comes to children and parents and he starts by talking to the children. They are not seen as inferior. They are not nuisances. They are not inconveniences. They are not people to be tolerated. They are addressed as equal by Paul in the church. Bearing in mind what Paul has done for five chapters, he has outlined mind-bending um, theology that spans eternity to eternity about God's purposes in the church um, and in Christ and how we fit in that, etc., etc. And then he's suddenly addressing children directly. And so actually they're addressed totally as equals, just like their parents. And Paul sees the church as a cross-generational community. It's not just for us adults. It's not about all us and, and serving our needs. Actually, he's talking to from the youngest to the oldest who, who hear God's word, praise him together and grow in grace together. They are addressed as responsible members of the congregation, the children are. Secondly, they are obviously to learn alongside their parents. Their parents have just been addressed in the previous section saying wives and husbands. So you've got wives and husbands dressed, and then actually suddenly it's children and parents. So they're all being addressed together. So the process of growing and maturing in Christ is something that actually crosses the ages. We don't just grow and mature in Christ when we're adults and we've kind of made it. Actually, it's something that happens from the youngest age. They are to learn alongside their parents. And Paul gives them a very strong command. They are told to obey their parents. That's quite a strong instruction. The wording is very strong there. You are to obey your parents, which is an example of divinely ordered submission in God's society. We looked at parents, uh, husbands and wives. He's now actually, children, actually, you are to obey your parents. They've been put over you in the Lord, and you are to learn from them and obey them in the, obey their instruction. And the last thing we can see is they are to have a relationship with God because they are to obey their parents in the Lord. Children are expected to have their own relationship with God, just like adults are. They don't live off their parents. Um, obviously, as they grow in kind of age, they learn as they grow. But actually, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. The disciples shooed them away. They were an inconvenience. They were a problem for this teacher. Jesus, it says, rebuked his disciples. Let the little children come, he said. And the disciples were looking red-faced after that. And he's actually saying, no, the little children come to me. And actually, so that it's expected that even at young ages, children can have a relationship with Jesus of their own. And Paul is expecting that in his teaching because they are to obey their parents in the Lord. You've got godly parents, godly children who are all following Jesus together. And he says at the end, therefore, it is right. And that's just a kind of a, this is what it should look like. This is a recognition of what a godly kind of community should look like. You have godly parents loving one another, as we've seen. Um, a community being built and within that community children honour and obey their parents because that is right, that is fitting. It, it recognises parental authority but also recognises child responsibility in obeying um, their parents. Next then Paul goes on to talk about the motivation. Why would you do this? And he quotes one of the Ten Commandments. It's actually the fifth of the Ten Commandments saying honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise and then it tells you what the promise is, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's quite a good promise, isn't it, there? You honour your parents, it's going to go well with you and you will live long. 
in the land. What Paul is saying is actually is that children should have a respectful attitude towards their parents, honouring their parents, and the result there, in a general sense, when the command was given, was actually that the people of Israel would dwell in the land that they, God had promised them when they went into the promised land. If there was well-ordered society, if children honoured their parents, um, it would go well for them because one. Children honour their parents, parents would mature them, grow them in God, and then the, those children then in turn become parents themselves and follow the example they've been given and lead their children who would obey them and you've got a cycle there going on. And those children would then grow up and actually care for their elderly parents, raise their own kids, and on and on it goes. And it's pointing to actually following Jesus and living in this ordered way actually generally works well. If children obey their parents... Parents grow them in the Lord. The cycle goes on and on. And Paul actually points, um, I think it's in Timothy, where he talks about actually a society that isn't working. He talks about disobedient children. (laughs) When things are going wrong, that's one of the signs, one of the symptoms when children are rebelling against their parents. Things are beginning uh, to break uh, down in us. And so for us, kind of the application actually is we raise our children there there to obey their parents, honour their parents, and actually it creates a well-ordered society that they then grow up into adults and they then take on the responsibility of raising children of their own in that um, respect. And then finally he gives an instruction directly to the fathers here. Directly to the fathers. And they are particularly addressed, um, and it says he, they are to train them, train them, do not provoke your children anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. The fathers have a special responsibility. The fact that mothers are mentioned doesn't mean they are not important, they are not involved, but he is picking out a particular responsibility that the fathers have in each group. They are to actually, it's not the responsibility just of the subordinate, the child, it's not their responsibility just to obey, there's a responsibility of the father to train them well and not to provoke them to anger. Um, there are two commands given to the father. The first one being a negative one. Do not provoke your child to anger. If there were little children in here, they'd probably be amening at that one. Actually, dad, don't provoke me. How, do you, how does the father provoke his children? Unreasonable demands, excessive discipline, nagging, harsh language, belittling, humiliating him, uh, not being present physically or emotionally, um, yelling, crushing punishment that isn't corrective but actually punitive, annoying them, name-calling, all those things will provoke a child to be angry um, at their dad. Then they're also given a positive command, train them, train the children. And one of the words used there is, is the same one used back in verse 29 about nourishing and cherishing. And so the image is the father trains the child and there is a nourishing and cherishing, almost like you nourish a plant and you feed it and it grows up healthy and strong. That is what the father is to do. And also they're told to give instruction, which is verbal, verbal teaching, training, um, correcting. And so there is a a caring and growing up, but also speaking into their life uh, to train uh, and expect. So the, the Paul's expectation is the child obeys and learns and the father instructs well um, and, and teaches them all the things that they need to go because it, is, it says finally at the end, it's again that phrase, instruction of the Lord. So it's all in connection with their relationship with Jesus. The children are to obey in the Lord 
and the fathers are to teach and train in the Lord. And teaching and training is vital because if you've ever seen children, particularly small ones, it's, I think it's really obvious in small ones, you do not need to teach them to sin. They, they just do it. And they're really, really good at it. You don't have to teach children to squabble and fight and be selfish and demanding. They just, they do it all by themselves. Um, it's happened starkly in our family. We had Levi, one child. He grew up and you noticed him. He would throw paddies. Just, you think, who taught you that? He would, he would get, if you took something off and you wanted, he would just scream and shout at you. And you think, you haven't seen mum or dad do that. Or granny or grandpa. No one you have seen do that. We haven't let you watch that on the telly. It just doesn't happen. But yet you do it. We've now had another child into our family and you can see siblings going at it. And Ash is only like nine months old. But he wants a thing that Levi's got and so he can now crawl, which is a wonderful thing, but it's actually suddenly, uh, he can move. And he's now, he will now follow his brother and try and take what his brother's got. Levi then reacts like, ah, Ash is grabbing. And Asher wants it. And then if Asher doesn't get it, he gets a bit of, uh, you think, who taught you this? I don't follow your mother around grabbing things off her and if she doesn't give it to me, crying. But yet, you're just doing it. You don't have to train children to sin. They, they have a bias towards it, which means you need to train them in godliness. You need to train them in right behaviour. You need to train them in the idea of sharing and caring for one another and understanding that you don't just uh, snatch things that you want and then cry about it if you don't get your own way. And the goal of that relationship is that you... Fathers would train their children and they would grow so it would actually become more of a peer relationship. That's the idea. They would train, so you train them into adults so you would actually relate to them as adults. And rather than it being just a a parent-child, actually it's more peer-to-peer because they have matured and grown into adults and they may one one day have children of their own. I can remember when this happened to me for the first time and it, it, it was so vivid. My dad... And my mum, they were visiting Melanie and I many years ago. We'd only been married a couple of years. And they, were, they came, they went, we were, they'd just come down to visit and we're having a nice time. And they, they sat at our kitchen table and uh, we were chatting over something, over dinner. And then my dad said to me, um, he said, or him and mum, he said, we need your advice on something. I'm like, your dad. You, you don't need, I come to you for advice because you're dad and that's, that's your job, you know. But our relationship had changed and he was now, him and mum were asking me and Mel and they were asking us for, for a kind of a pastoral advice on how they dealt with something and how they got guidance on how to move forward in a particular situation. And I remember it so vividly thinking, I am now functioning with you, you are still dad and mum, but actually we've moved, our relationship has changed, we're actually we're now functioning on a peer level, you've raised me to a point where I can now, I can now interact with you like that. And it was so stunning, thinking, that's the goal. My kids, the goal is that they will grow, they will grow into adults, and one day we will be able to communicate on that level because they've matured and they've been trained in, what, in, in life and godliness to do that. So, Dad's duty is to raise godly children. That's what Paul's saying. That's what that verse is. Dad, that is your job. Now, we can come up against it in the world and in the church where it's someone else's job. It's the kids' worker's job 
to raise our kids in godliness. It's the kids' workers' job to raise, to teach the children how to read their Bible. In fact, they only get them for 40 minutes a week. It's ludicrous. But even in church, we can think that. And it's in the world, and the world is is pushing into the church. I used to be a school teacher, and I would have parents, no joke, come to me and ask me, could I tell their child to go to bed on time? No joke. And it happened more than once. Or or could I tell their child to do X, Y, Z at home? And I'm like, are you for real? I mean, I'm... I'm pushing the limits of my authority with this child, trying to do a class of 30 of them and teach them maths or science or whatever it is. And they would come, and I I understand the situation, maybe an exasperation and a how do I deal with this, but actually it's not, it's the parents' job to raise the child. And Paul is particularly saying, dads, take your responsibility seriously to raise your children. Raise your children um, well. Um, in the church and we don't give that over to teachers and social workers and youth workers and kids workers actually parents it starts with us first and foremost and if you looking in the future I'd like to become a parent you've got to weigh that responsibility that is what it's about it begins with you and others help and support we have family and we have structures and kids work is fantastic but actually it's all about the parents and particularly the dad here to raise godly children. All right, let's look at some practical stuff, how we can outwork this. Start when they're small. Start when they're small. When kids are small, do everything you can to start training them. Don't wait till they've hit teenage years or you know, they've gone to secondary school or something. With Levi and Ash, we have got um, books. We've bought them the Beginner's Bible and the Toddler Bible and all these kind of books which... We read to them regularly, trying to train them and get stuff into them about godly stories. They've got oohs of books, but usually bedtime's reading is we read a Bible story. Um, Levi's favourite is this ghastly twee Christmas one, which we seem to read all year round. And it's not even that good a Christmas story. It's just it's got animals tweeting and barring at the birth. And Mary doesn't look like she's going to go with anything resembling labour. I've seen two labours, so I know what that's like watching. Um, but Levi always wants to read this Christmas story, and I'm just like, oh, goodness gracious. But we're reading and talking about the birth of Jesus. Who's this? It's baby Jesus. Who was baby Jesus? Baby Jesus was God, etc. We're doing these kind of things. So we've got books for him to read and other ones. We've got music. Levi is now getting into music and dancing. His dancing basically looks like running on the spot and waving his arms around. The scary thing is it's better than my dancing, um, even now. But we put music on and we say we try and teach him dancing, we're singing songs, singing songs to Jesus, and he loves, he's getting into that more and more, loving music. We had, um, yesterday I had Sonic Flood on, nice and loud, and we were dancing in, well, we were running on the spot in the lounge, but we called it dancing. I love to sing to my boys all the time. I do it in private, so no one's going to hear, because I'm not the world's best singer. But I love singing to them, sing as many kind of old sort of songs I can think of about Jesus, but I'm training them in godliness and in worship and we sing to Jesus, we're thankful um, to Jesus. Um, we always do thankful, thank yous before we go to bed every night. What are we thankful for? What do we say thank you for Jesus? And Levi's got to an age now where he can actually say thank you Jesus for stuff. It is the most random eclectic mix uh, you can imagine. What do you want to say thank you for? Pirates. Okay, thank you Jesus for pirates. And then we go through the animal kingdom. 
you know, rhinos and animals and uh, no, lions and giraffes and tigers. Occasionally there's a human in there. Um, Anna usually gets a lot of thank yous for Anna and his friend Thomas and, and sometimes Granny Grandpa and other things like that. But we're trying to just train him from young age to be a thankful child and thankful for, to Jesus for all that he um, has given um, to them. We're trying to teach them, even from the early ages, about right and wrong. And not just what's right and what's wrong, but why is it right and wrong? Why is it wrong to take your brother's toys? And it, it really hit with Levi when Asher was born, and Asher started getting toys of his own. People brought him a toy. And for Levi, any toy in the house was his. In fact, everything in the house was his, in his mind. You know, Daddy's phone. It's Levi's? No, it's Daddy's phone. And he would look quizzically at me. Levi's? No... It's daddy's phone. And he kind of got that. But when toys started appearing that weren't his, this is Asher's toy. Asher got brought that. Oh my goodness. He just, you could see his little brain kind of fizzing out. This isn't mine. And we're trying to say, no, this belongs to Asher. And eventually, eventually he got it. And this is Asher's. And he'd say, yes, it's Asher's. But I play with it. And I'm like, Asher's two months old and doesn't really care. So yes, you can play with it. But you've understood stage one. It's not yours. It's Asher's. Um, and we're trying to move that on now. Actually, Asher would like to play with his toys because Asher can now move. And Asher, would, Asher can go after his toys and trying to actually explain actually that's his and if you want to, you've got to ask it to borrow him. And we're trying to get underneath to why it's not good just to snatch your brother's stuff and then, and then Levi's now gone to the, the face shove. When you're a small baby and you put your hand on their face and shove, they just go down. And we're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that is not how you solve arguments. And we're trying to kind of, why is it not good to do those kind of things? Levi, um, and we're just and we're trying to try to just build in from the youngest age. And our philosophy as parents, Mel and I, before um, when she was pregnant with Levi, it was like, how are we going to raise these kids? You have all these questions, you know, you suddenly have to grapple with that before you've never had to grapple with. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, so we, we're going to have a child, and we didn't even have to take a test. We're just going to get given one. You know, this is it. This thing will arrive, and there we are. Um, how are we going to raise this child? And we set ourselves um, our goal in raising um, Levi, and now we've got Asher as well, was to know that they are loved by their parents and loved by God. And we thought, we'll start with the parents because it's easier to understand. We're there. So our number one goal with our kids is to know that you are loved by your parents and you are loved by God. And if they get to the age of 12, 13, 14, 15, and that's what they know, mum and dad love me, God loves me, I think we're doing okay. I think there's so many other things that come around that we could try and do um, that people, we can get hung up on. But actually, that's our focus. That's our goal. And so we are building everything around that that they all know that they're loved by mum and dad. When they cry, dad comes. Okay? I don't leave them. Dad comes. It happened this morning. We had a first time ever. Mel had a little Mel slip coming down the stairs. And I heard it. I heard that... Uh, ooh. I was there within, you could time me in nanoseconds. When you cry, Dad comes, because that's what dads do. You know, Dad is there, Dad loves you. Even when I have to tell you off, Dad loves you. Dad is going to be there when you wake up in the morning, and Dad is going to be there when you go to bed at night. And I'll move heaven and earth to make that possible, because your Dad loves you, and he wants you to know that. Every time I go to work, I say, I've got to go to work, Levi. I love you, I'll see you later. And he knows that, and I say that every time. When, I, when he goes to bed, I will be here in the morning. When you wake up, Dad's going to be here. And I love you, and I'm going to be with you. And we're building that into his life, and then we're going to build on, as well as Jesus loves you as well. And he actually loves you more than Dad. 
but that's what we're going to build into um, your life, that you'll know you are loved by God and you are loved by uh, your parents. So start when they're small, and that's why we've got, you know, we, the kids work here, we love doing that. Get the children out there, train them in godliness. Okay, the next one, be honourable. It says, honour your father and mother. You can make this easier by being honourable. <laughs> the command is, is, is what it is. Ch- children, you have to honour your parents for who they are. They're your parents. But you can make your life easier for your children by being honourable people. Make it easy for your children to honour you and obey you because you're an honourable person. Um, children, more is caught than taught, and I'm learning this to my horror with my two boys. Children are sponges and then they become parrots. So they suck in everything they see and then they tell you, back to you, what they've learned. And my son comes out with phrases and words that I'm thinking, where did you learn that? You heard me say it or you saw me do it and you're just mimicking me. And so we need to live in a life that is honourable for children to see to co- and then copy themselves. If you're seeing behaving kids and you're thinking, where have they learned that? The first place is to look at is yourself thinking, oh my goodness, they've copied that from, my, from, from me. And I'm seeing that in my boys. Have a relationship with Jesus for yourself. You have to have a, if you're expecting to train your child in godliness in the Lord, you have to be in the Lord. Yourself, you have to have a relationship. You have to be reading your Bible and praying as much as you can to build your relationship with Jesus that you're then going to pass on and train uh, your child in. If they can see it, the better. I try to start reading my Bible around Levi just so he can see it. It becomes interesting when he wants to grab it and climb on me while I'm reading it. You know, doesn't always work out the best, but I'm trying to help. Daddy's reading his Bible. Do you want to sit with Daddy? Okay. Do you want to get involved? Daddy, you know, Levi have Bible. Eh, maybe we'll get your Bible out and not rip up my one. But you have to have a relationship with them. You need to be fair in your dealings with them. We all make mistakes. We all kind of, you know, change the situation and you know think they're small. I can just con you on this, manipulate. But we need to be fair in our dealings with them. We need to be able to say sorry quickly, apologise to our children when we get things wrong. I'm surprised how often I'm having to say sorry to my children. I thought I was more perfect than that. It turns out I'm not, and actually I make mistakes to them, and I'm having to apologise to them. Which gives you integrity when you're telling them, apologise to your brother for face-slapping him. You know, because you're actually someone who tells, um, uh, you're having to say sorry too. For dads, treat their mother well. Demonstrate your love and passion for their mum in front of them. Not too much passion, but you know what I mean. Love their mum well. If they know you love mum, then actually they're going to feel more secure around them. Speak well of their mum. Speak well to one another um, in the house so they are a part of that. Be fun to be around. A dull dad is a, not a good dad. Don't be the dull dad that kids are like... You know, his dad. Be fun around them. For my boys, that usually involves hanging them upside down by their ankles. They love that. Swinging them around, throwing them in the air, playing hide and seek, playing chase, letting them bundle me, doing all these things, taking them out, running around the park, kicking the football with them. They just 
love it. That's fun for them. So you need to, we need to be fun people to be around because kids are fun, are fun. They love to laugh. They love to smile. And actually, it's usually pretty easy getting them to laugh. Um, and so actually, dads need to be fun um, to be around. Do things that they will remember. Make memories. We took Levi to the Sea Life Centre on Mel's birthday last year. He's not even three yet, so you track back his age. He wasn't even two. Oh my goodness, he still goes on about it. This morning he had giant sea turtle and starfish that we bought him at the end of the Sea Life Centre that he still got. We got him out there and it was like, starfish, giant sea turtle, Sea Life Centre. And you're thinking, he's still, he's still enamoured by that. When he was there, he... Um, he, he got to put his hand in a bucket and touch uh, a starfish. They had one. One of the people said, do you want to, do you want to touch a starfish? A little boy, touch animals. Yeah, he was, he was in there. And even now he comes to us and he says, bucket starfish. And what he actually means is, ask me what I, what I got in the bucket. He say, what did you touch in the bucket, Levi? Starfish. What did it feel like? Squishy. And he's still going on about it now. So making memories that they will, you know, that kind of, that will last is fantastic because they still it just lives on and on in them number three pray with and for your children I have a prayer plan in my journal um, that I try and write in most days every day and Melanie Levi and Asher are at the top of every day pray for them every day on my own when I'm praying on my own I pray for, for my wife I pray for my two boys Every day I pray for their health, I pray for their growth, I pray God would save them, he would open their hearts, he would, I pray for their wives, I pray for their kids, God willing they have them. I pray for whatever comes to mind, but I'm praying for them every day. I pray with them and for them every night. We do the thank yous that we've mentioned, I pray for them before they go to bed, they know I stand there and I stand over their cots and I pray that God would protect them through the night, he would bless them, grow them, save them, turn them into to godly men in the future. And I pray with them, and I try to model something that actually we are a praying people. And I pray for my kids every day, pray with them, trying to teach them about prayer, trying to involve them in prayer, which has, you know, it's having growing returns. At first it was interesting trying to get them to pray with me, but... We persevere, we push through, but we pray with our kids and we need to be dads who pray, pray, pray um, with our children and for our children. And the last one, fourthly, invest in the future, invest for the future. And I just talk about what we do here at Real Life Church. We believe our philosophy for our children's work is that children are a gift, a priority and a responsibility. Children are a gift from God, they are not an inconvenience. They are a gift from God. Every single child we have is a gift from God, a beautiful gift that we, we treasure and enjoy. They are a priority. They don't come second to us adults in one we're two. They are a priority in what we do as a church and they are a responsibility for us. Actually, I think God will call us to account as a church and say, what have you done with those children um, I've given you? So we invest time, energy, and money in how we serve the children um, of this church. On a kind of a given Sunday at the moment, we have nearly 20, around 20 every week, children with us. And we're not actually that big. So we've got a lot of children. So it's almost a third of who we have every week are children. And most of them are under like five. 
So we've exploded in the kind of little children and baby department um, and so we gear our work to that age group because that's what we have the most of um, at this point and we invest in them as much as we can. As much as we can. We've got obviously the children's work we do every week. Um, that's why we, we, we have people, we have Melanie, Ben and Anna who kind of run our kids' work and they, they're on a rotor, they, they lead what happens out there. They, um, we also ask parents to go and be parents' helpers to build the connection between church and home. That actually you're seeing what they're learning and you, we, we can cross that bridge actually and what's going on there for 40 minutes on a Sunday then can be followed up for the rest of the week at home and foundations can be built, built on here a little bit more. So that's why we ask parents to go out and help um, with the kids and help our, our, our dedicated team to do that. Um, as much as we can. We invest a lot of our resources as a church in making sure the equipment's there, making sure they've got craft activities, toys, things to do, musical instruments, books, anything that helps us grow uh, them in godliness. We've got this party coming up on Wednesday that the church is basically financing so they can bring their children, or their friends, kids can bring their friends into an environment where we are going to celebrate and have fun together and show something of what God is like in that um, and so that, again, is something that's funded by um, the church that we want to do. And so we are pushing into that because we know that we want to start from a young age in training them in godliness. And we are hoping and praying that it will bear fruit in their life, that they will each come to know Jesus for themselves and have a growing relationship with him that will then bear kind of fruit as they grow up and mature themselves. We love having the kids back in here when we have our kind of worship time. You notice when they come in because it gets really noisy and the movement, they're just flying around and yelling. We invested in musical instruments so they can kind of be part of what's going on. They tend to throw the musical instruments, which we're trying to say, don't do that. Play the musical instruments. But that's, again, that's our investment in them, trying to train them. I know with um, my boys, I'm trying to tell them what's going on on a Sunday. When I've got Ash, he can't move because I'm holding him, so I'm telling him what's going on. That's what's happening. They're playing to Jesus. When someone, when mummy's prophesying, she's prophesying about Jesus. Are you getting this? With Levi, we try and do the same. We're trying to get him to dance. You know, we're dancing, we're celebrating, we're having fun. We're, we're thankful for all the things God has done in our life. And it's a, it's a slow curve. I'll guarantee that because Levi just hits run and just wants to charge around. But we're investing in them. And as a church, we want to invest for the future um, for our children because we want one them day to grow up and become adults as part of a congregation like you are. Because the fact that you're here is that someone in your past invested in you and uh, brought you to this place. So the recap there, some practical stuff. Start when they're small. Be honourable. Pray with your children and invest for the future. That's what we're going to do. And obviously this applies to both parents, but there's a particular call that God wants to put on fathers. That's why Paul particularly singles them out. He singles them out and says, don't do this. They're more likely to be the provocation to make them angry, he's saying. Don't do that. Don't make them angry. Invest in them, train them, love them, and see them grow up in relationship um, in the Lord. And that we would have wonderful, godly children who would honour and obey their parents, who would love Jesus, celebrate Jesus, and would have parents and the wider church community that we just love kids, invest in them, and want to give everything they can to make sure that they um, come to know Jesus for themselves. Amen?
Can I just pray and then we'll ask the kids to come back in. Have a short break while we kind of adjust that and the noise, <laughs> the noise goes up. Um, and then we'll worship Jesus together. Lord God, I want to thank you for the gift of children you've given us as a church, Lord. The many, many children we have among us on every Sunday, uh, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the responsibility uh, they are, Lord. And I ask you would bless our children here, Lord God. I ask you would save them. I ask you grow them into mighty men and women of God. Lord, and I also pray for the parents. I pray for those who are actually parents themselves, but I pray for us as a parenting community that seek to raise godly children. I pray for the mums here, Lord God, that you would give them grace to be mums for those kids, to love them, to nurture them, to grow them. Lord, I pray for the dads here, Lord God, that they would set examples of being mighty men of God, ferocious men of God who will go after God with everything they've got, Lord. Lord, let them be honourable men who are fun to be around, who love kids, Lord God, who take their responsibility seriously, Lord. Train us in how to train them, Lord God. Help us to be repentant people who are quick to say sorry and acknowledge our wrongs, Lord, who are devoted to you in our life and are not inconsistent in how we kind of, what we say and what we do. Lord Jesus, and we ask, God, you would bless us with more children, um, Lord God, than you bless us with more parents, more children, and as a community, would, we would always be full of young, uh, vibrant uh, little ones running around um, and challenging us on what it means to come to you with a childlike faith, uh, Lord Jesus. We, we know you said, let the little children come, uh, Lord God, and we don't want to stand in that way, Lord. We want to help them come to you, um, Lord Jesus. God, we ask you just bless us in this, lead us, guide us in this, and grow us as a church in this area, Lord Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. All right.